Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for January 16th, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent Dam. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And on Marvel's The Pull List, we look at all the new comics. We've read them. We read them so hard, you don't Oof. even know. We read them so much, and we are excited. There's a lot for us to get hyped about. We want you guys to get hyped. So on the show, we're going to talk about the things that we loved about them and tell you why you should read them. And then you can go to your local comic shop or you can go to the Marvel Comics app and you can spend your hard-earned dollars on these comics. And then we say, thank you. Come again next week. We'll do this all over again. That's right. But we got to start mm-hmm. things off with the the old web spinner himself. That's right. We're starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 13. It's written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Ryan Otley, inks by Cliff Rathburn, and colors by Laura Martin and Andrew Crossley with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I love Big Man. Big Man. I think that's the best. I, I think that's so funny. That is the total <laughs> most Tucker villain right? in the world. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that really means a lot that you had that that reaction. Cause uh yeah, I just think it's like it's the best like villain codename ever. There's some really interesting things happening in this issue because we are only recently arrived to a new status quo between Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson, where Nick plays with it quite a lot, kind of utilizing the decades old dynamic between them and then subverting it or reminding us of it or even Jonah himself kind of going back into that old antagonistic dynamic with Spidey, but then falling back into where they are back today. I found this to be a theme this week, and I'll talk about it in a a couple of my picks this week as well, but there were some really big dramatic like moments anywhere from like super dramatic and emotional and all the way through to like fully operatic. And this really started the week off in a big dramatic way. There's some big choices that Spidey makes here and really difficult choices that are fascinating. And to see that happen, to see the after effects of it, to see that all being negotiated between the relationship this still, like I said, newly formed relationship between Jonah and Spidey is super fascinating and adds is just adding new layers of depth to Nick Spencer's Spider-Man already. Yeah. Up next is As Guardians of the Galaxy, number five, written by Colin Bunn, with art by Matteo Loli, with Luca Moresca and Stephanie Hans. Colors by Federico Bli and Stephanie. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. It's got dead gods. It's got living gods. It's got sexy elders of the universe in their little, little, little towels. It's got illusions. It's got big (laughs) battles. It's got family team-ups. It's a fun issue with a fun team really dug the first arc especially loving the little bits of stephanie hans art that we get here and there she's so good the painter style it's it's really really wonderful especially getting her doing some stuff with angela because she was an artist on a bunch of angela stuff previously but i i am very much looking forward to that next arc which has the team going and looking for angela's love sarah and what that means, where she is, what it all, ooh, uh, it's going to be good. There's some Angela comics from 2014 and 2015 that were so good. I highly recommend you check them out. You know what? It's so funny. As you're saying these names and recounting that dynamic, I'm remembering when I was an intern sitting in on old This Week in Marvel recordings and hearing you talk about uh, Angela, Queen of Hell, uh, and raving about it back then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Angela Asgard's Assassin and Angela Queen of Hell, two great series. Both of them are fully available on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, if you want a little bit of a history for what's coming in Asgardians of the Galaxy, go check it out. Nice. My first pick this week is Black Panther number eight, 
the story is told by Ta-Nehisi Coates and Kev Walker. There's been an amazing kind of revolving cast and crew of artists and art teams on Black Panther, specifically in the last few issues. Daniel Cunha, of course, is the series artist, but uh, over the last couple of issues, we've seen the likes of Jen Bartel and now Kev Walker. They all just fit so beautifully into this story and the way that ta likes to tell his stories and likes to examine these certain character moments. It's really, really interesting. But I love seeing Kev jump on board here. The colors so are um, unbelievable. The colors are by Stefan Petru. The letters are by VC's Joe Sabino. There's a really cool analysis of T'Challa happening in this issue specifically as T'Challa is on this mission. He's talking with Nakia and Mbaku is kind of keeping tabs on what he's doing as well. There's a moment where Nakia says, you know, as T'Challa is going off and doing his specific kind of brand of heroism where it's really a, a kind of leave no man or woman or child behind. It's He's so utterly principled, and I think that's a, you know, a defining character trait of T'Challa. And so to see that come and be manifest in his actions in this kind of way is really, really fascinating. And Nakia, in conversation with M'Baku, says, we have to be patient with him. He's a great warrior, and M'Baku says, and a poor soldier, mm. which is really interesting um, because, you know, soldiers are meant to do what they're told, and that is absolutely not how T'Challa does things. There are some really beautiful dramatic moments that go down in here that are starting to point to the bigger themes and the bigger statements and what we've been told about the intergalactic empire of Wakanda that are starting to come down and fall into place. Really, really interesting. There's a beautiful moment in particular towards the end, which like almost got me emotional. So gorgeous about what T'Challa means as a hero, as a king, as a leader. But there was something else that I think has emerged in ta recent, who knows, year or so of comics that is very fascinating to me. I think he takes amazing advantage of using no words at all on the page of just allowing the artist and an amazing artist like Kev here to just tell the story all on their own. And it actually reminded me of Christopher McQuarrie, director uh, and writer that I'm a, a major massive fan of. And he has spoken about something that he likes to employ in his movies is that like when an action sequence is coming up, that like it should all just be instinctual. The audience should just know what's at stake and shouldn't have to be told information or have any information dumped on them as it's happening. They should just know innately what's at stake, what the positive outcome would would bring, what a negative outcome would bring from the action. I think that is something that I was thinking of here because you know we're not getting any words throughout a lot of these awesome fight sequences and things like that. And we know what the positive outcomes are. We know what the negative outcomes are. We don't need to be to be told what's, uh, you know, anything else that's going on or any other context of what's happening. It's all fed to you very succinctly and beautiful beforehand. And then you can just enjoy those moments, the pure visuals as you're going through them. Fantastic. Yeah. Kev has those, the ways to tell the sense of scale, whether it's the shots of the ships or those really mm-hmm. tight battles, the close-ups, the flashes of memory, all the fury and the sadness he's, so good. All of it is so on point. I loved Tanahasi's first series mm-hmm. with the Black Panther, but this is the one that's completely hooked me. Mm-hmm. So good. Also so good is my first pick of the week, which is Black Widow number one. 
and is written by Jen and Sylvia Soska, with art by Flaviano, colors by Veronica Gandini, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and cover art by Clayton Crane. Got to give a shout out to Clayton. I love his covers and he makes Natasha look so cool there. This one is so good. Makes me so happy too because I, I'm a big fan of Jen and Sylvia and like I, I adore them. I think they're wonderful. And it's one of those things like you want to make the people you like, want them to do good work yeah. and be excited. And I was very excited. I immediately finished this. It was like I sent them a message. I was like, oh my God, this is so great. Blah, blah, blah. This was uh, so impressive. So good. Yeah. So good. Uh, the concept here is essentially, and this is from a note in the back of the book. Black Widow is unleashed. No regrets, no mercy, exactly what you'd expect from a Black Widow. I love that. Mm -hmm. It's just down and dirty. She is the most dangerous woman. And so we get the setup in the beginning that Nat is working with Cap to deal with some bad guys. Get a great scene. The Soskas write a fantastic Captain America. Mm -hmm. uh, And it helps establish that Black Widow, she's not just a hero. She's got anger. She's been through all this stuff. And she is the biggest badass in the room. Like Cap is great. Cap is the shining star. Mm-hmm. She is the one who brutalizes all the things so he can shine brightest, <laughs> yeah. you know? She's like, you know what? I need to go off on my own, deal with some stuff. She goes to Madripoor, a place where she can let loose. And I love Madripoor as a place in the Marvel Universe. It is dirty. It's messed up. It's crimey and grimy. And it's this area in Southeast Asia that Logan hung around in for so many years. That's where he became the person Patch. He, had, he went through a similar thing. It's like, I need to get away from the spandex and the mutant Mm -hmm. Mishigas and all this other stuff. (laughs) I need to go somewhere where I can carve out a different identity, be something that is more like connects to my nature. And so she does this. She adopts his look. She puts on the the patch. She has this cool fashion sense. She connects with Tiger Tiger, who's a friend of Logan's going way back. I don't want to give any more away because I can't wait to see how she lets loose in the future and what all the pieces are coming together but Flaviano is a perfect oh, choice yeah. for this book he did great stuff on Power Man and Iron Fist mm-hmm. a couple years ago and he's he's just crushing it it's got this poppy kinetic not quite manga meets graffiti style mm. almost do you know the video game Jet Grind Radio or Jet Set Radio Future no well listeners you can google it if you don't know it I'm sure many of you will know these games there's almost that kind of look to it maybe not as bright a little bit darker mm. but mm. with that that visual flair it's so cool it makes it i really really dig it um and check out the Soska sisters they just were uh guests on women of marvel with judy stevens and sona amina nice uh next up uh, we have conan the barbarian number two it's written by jason aaron with art by mahmoud azrar colors by matthew wilson and letters by vcs travis lanham man mahmoud is next level in this series it is unbelievable i love the angles of the faces he draws i love the way he captures such you know this kind of the wilderness and the wild nature of everything that's going on just how it's also spun off into something that is like untethered from society from even just clean lines in so many ways it's it's so visceral and and there's so much energy in it i mean the the opening few pages we see this panther that is kind of crawling through the jungle and the trees so it just looks ridiculously cool i want to pet it i know <laughs> uh I it, hang out with it and pet it. there's just so much stuff happening here that i love so much including a, a little shared moment between that panther and conan as conan tells it to shh before going on his attack you know issue number one is like this big 
boom, explosion, Conan is back, Conan's here, this is what Conan's all about, this is Conan the hero, the the character. And this, this issue was really interesting for me because it starts to explore the world a little bit more and we start to flesh out the way that Conan interacts with different people, with different cultures, you know, just the place that he holds in his universe is super fascinating because at the end of the day, he's a nomad. You know, he holds such weight in so many different arenas, but at the end of the day, he is kind of a loner in a way that, you know, he only relies on himself and he has the ability and the power and the wherewithal, everything to completely succeed in that way. There's some awesome monster action in here. There's some like giant snakes. One. The snakes look so cool. They look so cool. I hate snakes. So this really. Really? Oh, yeah. Cannot stand them. Uh, Jock. I hate snakes. You know, you know what I mean? I'm I'm familiar with the Indiana Jones. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they kind of provide this really interesting narrative that weaves its way through this whole thing as we see Conan interacting with jungle culture. And like there are some beautiful, like really evocative splashes in here that I love so much. I'm thinking of one in particular where there's a bunch of people dancing around a fire and just like the way that the shadows are utilized and you can see the faces lit by Matt Wilson's colors in just such an amazing way. It's so good. You talk pretty much hitting all the things I want to talk about with the Conan issue, but you want to know how good this issue is. I read this and immediately bought the original Conan prose collection because Mm. it had the original story that took some of the characters and the setting and the elements by Robert E. Howard that Jason based this off of. And then Mm. I happened to be on the phone with Jason Aaron a little bit and I told him and he was like, I love that story. He wanted to work with those elements because he just loved that story so much. Like there's the serialized novella, Black Starlight in there that is just really cool. I like digging into that every issue. I'm Mm. excited for that. And we're going to get more of them in the other series. It's great. Also great is my second pick of the week, which is Fantastic Four number six. This is the story called Herald of Doom. And it is written by Dan Slott, art by Aaron Cooter, colors by Marta Gracia and Eric Arseniega, and then letters by VCs Joe Caramagno. Beautiful cover by Isad Rabik. And oh boy. We should have said at the top. I meant to say this at the top. This was a really great week. This was a fantastic yeah, week. Yeah. So good. Off the top, like the first five books are our three yeah. three of our picks yeah. already or whatever. Yeah. Um, make sure you check out my recent This Week in Marvel episode with Dan Slott, which goes over all things Doom. It gives you insight into what Dan's thinking when it gets into Doom. But I want to talk about the art team. Mm. Aaron Cooter, Marte Gracia, and Eric Arseniega. Next level here like wow there's a full page splash of galactus and doom by cooter with the colors on that page by Marte, and it literally and i say that actually mm-hmm. meaning it literally stirred something inside me it made me feel something when i looked at it i was going through the issue and i had to stop because then i had to call ricky pardon <laughs> and be like ricky what is aaron's email address mm-hmm. and then he gave it to me and then i had to email aaron and be like aaron Reading this issue, it is beautiful. I would like to buy this page. Wow! Can yeah. I buy it? Are you selling it? What can what? A, <laughs> let me know because I I don't often get that yeah. very specific feeling. But it's Galactus and he's reaching out. This is he is in the background, but he's reaching out to you in the foreground, and then Doom is flying at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you see Doom from behind, but he's using magic. He's using technology. You've got little bits and pieces of the details around it. It is. 
I, I only own like four or five pages of original comic book art, mm-hmm. and this is one I, I really want. But hopefully we'll see. If I do get to buy it, I will put it up on, on social media at some oh, point. Yeah. But anyway, holy crap, another five pages after that, there's another splash. And it's one of the coolest character introduction splashes that you'll ever see. It's the introduction of Victorious. She's this character who sort of helped Doom get back in the saddle. In the first issue of Fantastic Four, there's that story in the backups of Doom. And he's sort of like, Mom, I'm just back in the room. My castle's cold and dark. And, and she's like, no, you are Doom. Mm-hmm. Get back and lead us. We need you. And so we find out a lot about her in this issue. But her first introduction is just gorgeous. She pops in the way that Dan knows how to do superhero comics. Maybe better than anyone else. Yeah. He's up there. And that like the way her she says her name and the way she comes in and she takes charge. That big moment is so exciting. And then you, this art team, though, they're... I, I love the phrase they're dunking on folks. You yeah, know, like uh, dunking on folks, like uh, '90s era Bulls versus the team that the Globetrotters play. Right, it's yes. like not even NBA. Like it's the Bulls versus not an NBA team. Yeah, yeah. Like a kitty team. Right. Like they're just destroying. It's so good. Victorious, so good. She's the Herald of Doom. She's awesome. She's got this look that's a badass mix of Doom, a medieval knight, cosmic warrior. Just an instant awesome look. Aaron also. Draws amazing goats. Yes. I love goats. True. I'm a big goat guy. Goats are the best. And goats scare the crap out of me. Really? If I put like a goat <laughs> and a snake like on top of it. Oh, yeah. Can't handle it. Interesting. Well, uh, Aaron draws some really great goats in here. And I had this realization that we may have my favorite modern Fantastic Four, my favorite modern Avengers, really incredible modern X-Men comics all at the same time. Our team books are wildly great right now. The story is primo, wonderful, cool, Galactus and Latveria, Doom battling the FF, the FF intervening, lots of pontifications and scowling and and just awesomeness. I can't speak highly enough of this issue. Yeah, because there are so many elements to the first family and having them back is such a joy and so amazing. But this issue really felt like, oh, man, this is fantastic four right here like this is what it's all about it's all encapsulated here so much fun Uh, another just super great uh debut for a team book here is invaders number one it's written by chip zadarsky with art by carlos magno with butch guys colors by alex guimaris and letters by vcs travis lanham and this is my second pick of the week I call it a team book, but it's kind of an analysis of that, really, because it certainly doesn't start like a team book at all. It doesn't start with, like, arms locked, moving forward, you know, taking on bad guys and things like that. It's a really interesting look at what the invaders were. I mean, obviously, this is a a team that made its debut decades and decades ago. What exact do you... Forty... Two or three, somewhere in there. Right. So that's an interesting thing that's pops up a couple in a couple books this week is analyzing past versus present and exactly how that adds up to what the future of these heroes or teams or uh, books are going to be. This is a really fascinating one because we have Cap and we have Jim Hammond and we have Namor, the kind of everlasting wild card. There are some beautiful flashback scenes that happen here that really pair 
amazingly well and parallel beautifully with where the team finds themselves now, where they are in their lives. Some of them, like Cap, are, you know, he's Captain America. He's still being Captain America. He's doing it. Then you have someone like Jim Hammond who is, uh, you know, out of the game. Uh, a little bit. And uh, it's really interesting to have all those swirling elements come around. You know, I mentioned it earlier in the, in the amazing drama in this week's books. This is the one that I was thinking of when I was thinking of operatic, because there are some moments here. There's just something about the way that Chip writes this uh, and these characters, the tone of it. You could just feel that something is coming, that there is a weight to these characters in this book uh, and this team. I think part of that is how it's rooted in kind of the World War II era uh, and everything that that imports and how that relates to Cap and Bucky and Jim Hammond and, and what Namor used to be back then versus what Namor is now. And again, I'm thinking specifically as we move towards the final third of the book, really, there are some like Shakespearean palace intrigue oh, kind man. of moments that are just amazing. And uh, yeah, Chip, you know, long time lover of everything that chip does i have gone on record say that he's like one of my favorite funniest guys around but man can he write some hugely dramatic moments with the best of them and uh this is just such a a big statement first issue of what this series is going to be moving forward my own nerdiness compels me to make sure i clarify some of my previous statements Mm. the invaders actually show up for the first time in the 60s as the invaders, right. but there was an original story, an original team, which was essentially the invaders. Uh, that was the all-winner squad, but they show up 46-ish. Mm. So the invaders as a concept is the 60s, but kind of also the 40s. Yeah. And then the team didn't get named that until I think the 60s. So right. there's a lot of history and interesting stuff about it. Mm-hmm. This issue, so good. I started reading this and then I immediately put on the song Invaders by Iron Maiden from the classic album Number of the Beast. Uh, has nothing to do with <laughs> the comics or the characters, but it's real good. Nice. All right, next book is Ironheart Number 2. And that is written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Luciano Vecchio with layouts by Jeffo and colors by Matt Mila. Letters and production by VCs Clayton Cowles. I got to just say right off the top, Luciano Vecchio is going to be a huge deal. His art here is so good. Mark my words. He hits all those notes. Just the amazing slice of life stuff. There's this panel of Riri and her mom that is just perfect uh to the battles and the big action riri versus these armored ninja dudes and which looks so cool or there's this great shot of riri riding the subway if you've played marvel spider-man the fast travel on that has spidey on the subway mm. and there's a bunch of different like ways that they show it the shot in here reminded me of that she's on the subway or whatever train they take in chicago or wherever she was mm-hmm. and she's just sitting there with her helmet <laughs> and like Mah. yeah uh it's so good And all of this works because Eve is nailing it. She hits perfect dialogue between Riri and her AI and Riri and her family and Riri and uh, random people. This mix of personal connections and past experiences that influence who Riri is along with her experiences trying to navigate her new now. It's really wonderful. Big love for this issue. It was nearly one of my picks. Like I I didn't pick Invaders because I was – 80% 80% sure you were going to pick Invaders. Mm-hmm. Up next is League of Legends Ash War Mother Special Edition number two. This is a digital first 
book. This is, of course, the cool story that we're doing with Riot Games and League of Legends. And this one is written by Odin Austin Schaefer with art by Nina Vacueva, letters by Cardinal Ray. Cool, cool cover by Yasmin Putri. And uh, this one's got tragedy. It's got death. It's got twists. Ash in here deals with a lot in this issue, but she gets her chance to stand up and, and really fight and really grow. It's a very cool hero origin story of this character in this world. We've got a bunch of bonus materials in here, including the full script to the issue, as well as sketches and line work of a lot of the pages uh, throughout the issue. And of course, there's a glossary in here to help guide you around the world with a lot of the terms and the, the actual names of different things and people and creatures and whatnot. And as someone who knows nothing of the world or the lore, I dig it. It's really cool. Next up is Man Without Fear, number three. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Ivan Coelho, colors by Andres Mosa, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This series so far has been a really amazing rumination on fear and the different forms that fear takes and how Matt Murdock conquers that or struggles with it. And this is another issue, like I mentioned before, that takes advantage really beautifully of this kind of parallel structure of what the past was like. And specifically in this issue, we're looking at the Defenders and what the present is like. In this issue, we're seeing Matt Murdock kind of going through rehab. He's rehabilitating his body after going through such a devastating accident at the end of Charles Soule's run of Daredevil, which has brought us to this point. For me, it felt like this is a combo of like classic, classic Iron Fist, uh, uh, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil defenders story with like the moment in kill bill when the bride she escapes to the hospital and then she gets to uh the truck and she's sitting in the back of the truck and she says move your big toe there are a lot of physical challenges here for matt but at the end of the day it really is a mental struggle and that is a really fascinating element because we're taking him to the depths here and there's a lot that he's going through and there's a lot of you know ways that he conflicts with the likes of Jessica and the crew in this frustration and because he can't be the person that he's always been. And this is a really you know formative moment for him where he's been reduced to so little in so many ways, physically, mentally, etc. And he strives, of course, to be so much, but it is obviously incredibly difficult for him. Fear is the mind killer. Oh, yes. You know what that's wrong? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can't wait. Denis Villeneuve. Is that actually happening yeah okay oh yeah all right we're talking about the new dune yes so mm -hmm. up next is marvel comics presents number one and i love mcp so much the original 80s 90s series was a bi-weekly anthology book that had amazing covers three sometimes four stories each issue and featured incredible talents they often had one main story serialized over many issues this is where you got your weapon x really cool wolverine versus cyber story with art by the legendary sam keith so much more i used to buy them at the key food grocery store in nice. floral park like just knowing this is back brings me happy memories jordan d white the editor on the book also grew up with it and like i remember he was like a little child showing me the cover when it first came in he's like look 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 marvel comics presents we were very excited together it's really neat this is going to have a couple stories first story in this issue is by charles soul with paulo saqueta inks by Oren jr colors by frank darmada letters by vc's joe caramagna and there are multiple stories here all hitting different themes but it's all set in the uh like 
World War II, 40s era. This Wolverine story goes across numerous issues set in World War II to start. Uh, and there's, you know, a neat thing that they're doing, branding these things with sort of titles and, and themes for these stories. So this is Marvel Comics Presents Wolverine. But then we have our second story, which is branded Marvel Age. And it's got a different kind of theme to it, still set, same time period. And this is a Namor story called War's End. It's written by Greg Pak, art by Tom Coker, colors by Michael Garland, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. The Marvel Age stories will are like looking at our heroes dealing with something from the real world. So here it's Namor and the Atom Bomb. Very intense story, very relevant, especially with the Invaders comic out this week. And it actually touches on something cool, which is Namor's amnesia, how he went from being an ally, this big hero during World War II, and then disappeared until the Fantastic Four emerge. And he shows up in Fantastic Four number four, I believe. It's either two or four. Uh, I'm not Tom Brevoort. <laughs> I claim to know those details all the time. And so when he shows back up, he's got amnesia. This actually says... Here's what happened, which I thought was really, really cool, really special. And then we have a third story, which is a uh, Captain America story. And this is a Marvel Spotlight story, uh, sort of taking Midas heroes from whatever decade they started in and letting them take center stage. It's Captain America story, written by Anne Nascenti, pencils by Greg Land, inks by Jay Lyston, colors by Frank D'Armada, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And it's, you know, it's cool it's cap but it's a modern tale very cool very down home story uh and is a legend next up is return of wolverine number four it's written by charles soul with art by declan shalvey colors by laura martin and letters by vcs joe sabino this is a really really interesting story as we're digging in more and more into wolverine's return certainly but also this villain persephone who is a fascinating one, super dark, super devious. It opens up with Wolverine waking up in essentially a hospital bed, but I love how it's done because everything seems right and everything seems good, but also a little bit not. Just in the way that Laura Martin colors it, in the way that Declan kind of has just the slightest variations on facial expressions and things like that. You can just tell there's just something not right. Uh, I don't want to say what that is that isn't right, but it is a really, really, really cool story dynamic that goes on here, and it gets dark uh, <laughs> in, a, in a way that really feels like it's going to propel Return of Wolverine forward like faster than ever. Yeah, I think this is a book that's really great in issues, but it's going to be wonderful as yeah. a single volume. It's yeah. going to be great. Up next is Spider-Man Deadpool number 44. It is written by your boy Robbie Thompson, art by Jim Toe and Sean Parsons with colors by Brian Reber, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And uh, look, the opening of this book features Carcass living his best life. You're like, who's Carcass? And I want to <laughs> tell you who Carcass is. Carcass is a big red monster, one of the deviants who are the offshoot of humanity that's always at odds with the Eternals. Carcass appeared in the original Eternal series by Jack Kirby. Carcass, though, despite his appearance as this big red monster, is kind of a teddy bear. Mm -hmm. Carcass is one of my favorites. He's kind of a philosopher. He's a loyal friend. I love Carcass. He's just the coolest. He's a Jack Kirby creation. He's so weird. And he's here to save his friend Ransack. They actually have this cool history. Robbie's pulling from this. I actually like 
freaked out on Robbie on like I sent him a message like I love this book so much <laughs> he did this really great carcass story and he's like uh, credit to Nick Lowe for making sure we did that uh, this is a neat story because it ties into all kinds of old school eternal stuff but it's just really a story of friendship and love with punching and superheroes and breaking wonderful fourth wall stuff anyone can enjoy this it's got Blastar it's got wonderful Kirby just vibes throughout yeah, so it so awesomely Kirby it, yeah it's, it's a great series Next up is Star Wars Age of Republic Special number one. This is a collection of three different stories. We have Mace Windu in The Weapon, which is written by Ethan Sachs with art by Paolo Villanelli and colors by Eric Arseniega. Then we have Asajj Ventress in Sisters, which is written by Star Wars extraordinaire Jody Hauser with art by Carlos Gomez and colors by Dona Sanchez Almara. And then we have Captain Rex and oh yeah, you know it, none other than Jar Jar Binks in 501 plus one. That one is written by Mark Guggenheim with art by Casper Wingard. He's in the issue. And colors by Chris Peter. Yeah, he is. I was so excited to see him. Disappointed that he didn't get his own solo book here, but you know, maybe next time. Time will tell. Yeah, we'll see. There's that moment in there with him. I was like, are they going to do it? Yes. I was like, what is happening? Exactly. Is this canon? Yeah, like a really big Jar Jar moment in here. Yeah, just a quick note on each of these stories. I mean, I think Ethan has a command of Mace Windu's voice, like among the best I've seen in any comics. So good. That's a great story. Asajj Ventress is a really interesting character that hasn't seen uh, as much of the spotlight in the films, but certainly has in other media. And that is a really, really interesting story that brings in the threads of Count Dooku and other things. And in the last one, we see uh, Captain Rex and Jar Jar essentially going on like the best buddy cop kind of adventure ever um yes there's a moment in there that i feel like is really gonna star wars fans are really gonna be talking about yeah um which is super 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 exciting i also just last thing the whole thing is lettered by vc stravis lanham these age of republic books have been just a delight and yeah i've loved them so much i appreciate the back matter because like asajj ventress knew nothing about her yeah but like i like the story and then i got a lot of back matter which was really great totally up next is uncanny x-men number 10 this is written by matthew rosenberg kelly thompson and ed brisson with art by perry perez colors by rochelle rosenberg letters by vc's joe caramagna and this is it this is the big final battle x-man has taken over storm one of the most powerful mutants i'm really glad that perry is on this issue he does these great layouts and these wonderful little details the framing of the telepaths working together to fight X-Man, the way he lays it all out is just so lovely. His Psylocke storm stuff is brutal and it's awesome. And oh boy, there's a line and a page that is one of my favorites of the week, but I can't get too detailed about it because it's hugely spoilery. I'll just say it involves Storm and should go down as one of those top epic Aurora Monroe moments when you read it. You're going to be like, that's what you were talking about. I don't want to say but much more, but remember, this story is called Disassembled. The end is not sunshine and rainbows. It reminds me of a certain X-Men story set in Dallas. For those of you who know what that is, you get that sense. But next week we'll have the story of how Cyclops comes back in the annual. Then number 11 is next month by Matt Rosenberg and Salvador La Roca. And the whole Age of X-Men stuff is popping as well. Real fun X-Men stuff right now. Totally. Last book this week is Venom number 10, which is written by, hey, there's a couple guys, uh, it's the creative team of a couple dudes we were hanging out with this morning. It's Donny Cates. Those words? Did you say it's words? It's just hanging out this morning. It's written by Donny Cates. Pencils by Ryan Stegman. Inks by J.P. Meyer. Colors by Frank Martin. And letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Like, this is, like, the darkest book 
A million percent. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> this is like by far the darkest book right and, now. And like hanging out with them today, they're like yeah. so cool, so yeah. happy, like just positive vibes. Yeah, so fun. You know, yeah. like hugs and, and fun times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is really something to see what they can conjure up. Because when I say dark, I don't just mean like, oh, there's monsters and death and destruction. No, it's like a really deep personal tale that is like as grounded as anything. Domestic violence, child abuse, drunk driving, mm-hmm. the things that are shaping certain characters yeah. in this story. Yeah, I mean, we really get to dig into uh, Eddie's past, Eddie's relationship with his father, now Eddie's relationship with his new little half-brother, Dylan Brock, and then Dylan's relationship with their father. It is beautifully told, really, really powerful, at times hard to read in the best way, in a way that makes you just want to read more despite all of that. And then there, you know, when it comes to the symbiote, there's some really fascinating moments happening here, at least for this series, they're starting to bleed into Eddie in new ways and in really fascinating ways that are completely unsettling and terrifying, you know, not just as a reader, but certainly for Eddie himself, because among the most interesting characters, and that's all down to this creative team at the moment, just because it's not just a superhero, supervillain kind of book, even as complex as those can get. This is a really personal story that's really digging into the depths of Eddie Brock just as a guy in new ways and fascinating ways, and it's just beautifully done. Heck yeah. Tucker, what collections are on sale this week? This week, we have Champions Volume 5, Weird War 1, Decades, Marvel in the 40s, The Human Torch versus the Submariner, perfectly on time for Invaders this week. Then we have Incredible Hulk Epic Collection, Ghosts of the Future, The Life of Captain Marvel, incredible one there. If you did not read these single issues, you got to read this. It's, it's fantastic. Uncanny X-Men Masterworks Volume 11, What If Classic, The Complete Collection Volume 1. We're what- doing it, guys. This, this is me <laughs> hoping that we're going to get the entire 70s, 80s run, and then we get the late 80s or early 90s run. Yeah. Because... There's some gems in here. And now I hope this means because we were doing Conan comics again, we had a like three or four of really awesome what if comics featuring Conan mm. that I don't know if we've ever reprinted, but nice. I really hope we can here. They're so good. Yeah, awesome. And then we have a bunch of Marvel Adventures Spider-Man. We have volumes 11, 12, 13, and 14. That's Animal Instinct, Jumping to Conclusions, Animal Attack, and Thwip. And then lastly, we have Punisher, Frank Castle Max, Welcome to the Bayou. Welcome to the Bayou. On Marvel Unlimited, uh, there's some 1987 Punisher stuff. So the the ongoing series, there's uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one. So the first issue by Nick Spencer, Ryan Otley is in there. Tons more stuff. You're going to get the full list of all this uh, on Marvel.com with the news story. that goes along with this episode. And uh, yeah, it's a great week. Oh, yeah. Hell of a week. So much fun. We're going to take all your money. Yeah. (laughs) Deal with it. We'll be back next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.